0: Our second lesson is taken from the epistle of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, and you might like to turn to it. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard of him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Amen. May God bless to our hearts this reading from his word. Except for the brief respite at Christmas when we tried to look at the meaning of Christmas and then our Sunday when our young people led the service and, of course, Communion Sunday, we have been studying for some weeks a very important part of the Bible, the Beatitudes. These are, of course, taken from Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount. One of the most remarkable passages of scripture, one of the most remarkable passages of, of literature in the whole history of the world. And it is fruitful for Christians to look at the Beatitudes because they sketch for us in a profile form. The outline of the mind of Christ reflected in those who know and follow Jesus Christ. When we read them... We are given an understanding of what he expects of us, what he wants of us, and how he desires us to live. If we think about those who are poor in spirit, what we are thinking about is not poor-spirited people, but rather we are thinking about those who are willing to recognize their need, their need of God. This is the first and the foremost condition of salvation. After we have reckoned with our need, we become sensitive, and we mourn. We mourn for not only our sins, but for the sins and the injustices that exist in our world. After this, we become meek. Meek is power under control. It is being disciplined. It is being guided by and molded by the Holy Spirit. We are always in contention with the world in which we live. And we are not to let the world squeeze us into its mold, says J.B. Phillips in his great translation of Romans 12. But rather, we are to allow our minds to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, We are obligated because uh, of this discipline. We sense in us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness that means that we want righteousness with God more desperately than we want water when we are thirsty or food when we are hungry. If we ever come to the place where, and by the way, uh, this is a a great area for us to think about, a a loss of spiritual appetite when we have no desire for prayer, when we were unmoved by him, when we are not concerned for spiritual things, this deadness of soul is symptomatic of something wrong. Just as the doctor knows that loss of appetite uh, can be an indication of trouble, so we are to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we have the gracious promise of Jesus that we shall be filled, that we shall be satisfied. This blessing carries with it Its reward. Abraham Lincoln said that he could qualify for that one, that he hungered and thirsted uh, after righteousness. When we have received the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and his cross, uh, we are people who have known God's mercy. And as a result of that, we seek to show his mercy to others. And so we are told, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we are warned by our Lord in a multitude uh, of ways that if we withhold from others what we ourselves would ask from God, then we disqualify ourselves uh, from receiving what we want most. Let me say this. Someone here needs to hear this. If there is someone... You are holding a grudge against and you are unwilling to forgive. God will not forgive you. If you want forgiveness, die to yourself. Swallow your pride. Let go of the thing and forgive the other person and know the joy of forgiveness. The Lord wants you to know that. He wants you to know it because you must know it to be like Jesus Christ. Well, we keep on what is it that there would be if people were merciful? Uh, if people were peace if people were pure in heart, if their motives were so pure that they in everything that they did they sought to honor and to glorify God. I think you can see that through the playing of this uh, marvelous little piece of music a moment ago. S.L. Brousseau, because of her love for Jesus Christ can almost transmit it through the vibrations and the 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 strings of the violin and you can catch it and the testimony backs up what's being uh, played and you find this again and again we need to be like this as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus we need it uh, greatly and if we have this then we can look forward to God's blessing in our life the happiness of a consistent and fruitful Christian life and he wants us to be this way Then we are to be peacemakers. We're to reach out and to take hold of that which we can catch hold of and reconcile, bring together people who are pulled apart. When I was um, over in Edinburgh, one of the last times I was there, by the way, John Akers was over there studying. And John took me out to see one of the sites, which was the great Fourth Bridge, which had been completed. It hadn't been completed when I was there. They were working on it. And it goes over the, it's a bridge called the, the, Firth of, the Firth of Forth. is a piece of water that comes up and the fourth bridge goes over it, F-O-R-T-H, Forth. And uh, uh, that bridge is an interesting bridge. Uh, they started from both sides coming out toward the middle of the water. And then finally they had to take a boat that would take a cable over and hook on to the other side. Then you see this great bridge as it is completed and becomes a great wonder that people look at. Well, we are to be reconcilers. We are to be peacemakers. uh, We are to have this about our lives so that we seek to promote peace in the world. Now then, why is it that people who would be poor, people who would mourn, people who would be meek, people who would hunger and thirst, show mercy, be pure in heart, be peacemakers... Why would they be persecuted? They would be persecuted because they are different. They are different. Hot dog, Henderson's blithering imbecilities uh, couldn't hardly be compared with the poor in spirit, could it? Not very humble. I hope a lot of kids won't pick up on that part of thing, uh, of that type of of bragging. It's not there. It's contrary to the humility of the Lord Jesus. Well, the world has a way because it is a system organized against the work of the Spirit of God and the work of God in the world of opposing the things of God. And so the world will begin to persecute those. We have to remember that Jesus Christ after he preached his first sermon in the synagogue at Nazareth, what happened to him? They took up stones to stone him because he said something about that offended their racial pride. That's what Jesus did in his first sermon. Uh, in his hometown. And they took up stones to stone him. Uh, and it's interesting topic for devotion to sometimes study the names that people called Jesus. For in that eighth beatitude he said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, he's not telling us there that we're to be blessed because of the stupidity of our own big mouth, which may uh, get us in trouble in some dumb way. But if the accusation leveled against us is false, and it's because of our love for Jesus that we've shown something, then we uh, are to rejoice. And he says we can rejoice because we're in line with the prophets, And we're in line with what happened with him. They subtly inferred that he was an illegitimate son. Is not this the carpenter's son? Uh, They said, uh, isn't he in league with the devil? He does miracles because of the power of Beelzebub. They said he is a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. They spoke about Jesus in some very cruel and harsh terms. And so, if you as a believer in the Lord Jesus run into difficulty, remember that you have run into it in company with your blessed Lord himself, and it is because there is a difference in the world. I can remember his little farm boy watching my mother feed chickens. And I don't know what it is about chickens, but if you were to take... uh, I never did like white-legged hens. They weren't very husky, and I liked the Domineckers and the Rhode Islands. They were a little stronger. Had to keep record books. The only fraternity I belonged to was the Future Farmers of America. And and, uh, if you put a chicken of a different color in there, they'll peck him to death because he's different. They'll fight Chickens are mean. Uh, when somebody talks about someone being chicken-hearted, I'll tell you, chickens can be pretty mean. And, uh, uh, the, but people are often like that. They can come that way just because they're different. They would attack a different chicken just because he was a different, a different from them. You've you got to put them in flocks together. And, uh, or they will cause trouble. Well, you put a Christian into the world who exemplifies in his life the characteristics which are delineated for a Christian in the Beatitudes, and there will be those who will oppose him. And he will often run into trouble. Last week we saw this in the earliest Christians, uh, the stone masons. You remember we talked about a stonecutter? Would not wish to take part in the building of a a pagan temple. There were other people who were put out of work because they would not go contrary to their faith in Jesus Christ. They were called antisocial because they would not go to feasts where libations were poured out to pagan gods. And you remember, Paul had warned you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and of the cup of devils. And so they were persecuted. They were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And one of the great proofs of the divinity of the Christian faith and the supernatural power that exists in it comes in 64 A.D. When in July the 17th and 18th, sometime in the night of the 17th, the morning of the 18th, Rome caught on fire, and it burned for days. Many thought that Nero himself had set the city on fire, but he blamed it on the Christians. You see, the Christians had talked about an end of the world, about a time when this world would be consumed with flames, so it was an easy libel to attach to them. There were people who spoke against the Christians because they said they bring little babies to a place to be baptized. And they heard them speak of of eating the, the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And they got out a rumor that they were cannibals, that they took little babies there and ate them. And so Christians were persecuted. Christians would greet one another with a holy kiss. And so this was subject to be misunderstood and led to a lot of uh, difficulty amongst the pagans. They were antisocial in that they withdrew from some of the spectacles that the pagans went to. And this caused them to uh, come into disrepute with them, so they were persecuted as a result of it. Now, when they went through the persecution... They held firm for Jesus Christ, and as a result of it, even though uh, there was a long, long period of horrible persecution, this could not stamp out the church. What hurt the church the most, I think, was when Constantine uh, looked with favor upon it in the Roman Empire and himself claimed to be converted and ordered people to be baptized and converted and it became fashionable to be a Christian. And there are places today where it's fashionable to be a Christian. You're not going to be persecuted for it. Uh, And maybe we don't have that distinctive influence that we ought to have for Jesus Christ or we might incur it. I'm not saying that we ought to go out looking for it. But I'm saying that we ought to be true to Jesus Christ no matter what the circumstances are and to remember that he uses even the adversity that we go through as a means of bringing blessing to him. Last week I had hoped to conclude by telling you uh, a story that Dr. Billy Graham used to tell of one of his own personal friends who during the Depression had uh, lost his job and had lost his uh, fortune his lost his house. His wife had left him. And he was in a very deep depression. And he was walking one day, sad, thinking about his faith in Christ, to which he had clung with all of his heart, and wondering why he should be going through such adversity. And he came along where some workmen were building a big stone church. And one of the workmen was working on a triangular piece of stone. And he watched this workman working at it because he was out of work himself, and he said to him, What are you going to do with that piece of stone? And the workman looked up and he pointed high to the spire of the church. And he said, Do you see that that opening up there? Way up close to the spire? He said, yes. And he said, well, I'm fashioning this stone down here so that I can fit it in perfectly up there. And the man said that his eyes brimmed with tears and he walked away thinking that God himself had spoken to him, that God was saying to him, I'm fashioning you down here to fit you in up there. So sometimes we have to go through that hardship. Now then, Jesus begins to say something about what happens uh, to the believer's influence in the world. And this he speaks of, of course, uh, when he refers us uh, to being salt of the earth and light of the world. Listen to his words. You are the salt of the earth. The reason that I laughed is that uh, one of my favorite preachers is Stuart Briscoe. And Stuart Briscoe has a tremendous English accent that uh, is very marvelous to listen to. And he's uh, quite a, an actor himself. And he really puts himself into his sermons. And he says when he gets to this uh, place... That Jesus, when he says these words, you are the salt of the earth, in speaking to his disciples, he said, Jesus didn't say, now would everyone who would like to be salt hold up your hands? And he said, Jesus didn't say, wouldn't it be lovely if some of us would be salt? <laughs> and he said, Jesus didn't say, what the world needs is salt. <laughs> He said, Jesus said to those who are his disciples, who are yielded and under his control, you are the salt of the earth. And the word there, earth, is the word from which we get our word geography. It has to do with a certain little sphere of influence where we operate. That may be our office, it may be our room in the dormitory, It uh, may be our job at home. It may be our contact with the people that we see week after week. But we are to have an influence upon them that is like the salt of the earth. In that little sphere, we operate. We are the salt of the earth there. Now, salt brings out flavor. One of the most wretched things about going through a heart ailment is when you come out of the operating room from heart surgery, they measure very carefully any kind of sodium intake. And of course, salt is sodium chloride. And boy, does food ever taste horrible when you can't even put a little bit of salt on it. Uh, it, it, it loses its flavor. and. We Christians are to make things different. We're to bring out flavor in unpalatable things. We are to add a little difference to what's there. If it's a locker room on a basketball team, or a soccer team, or a baseball team, or a football team, or, or a band, or wherever we are, if we are truly like Jesus Christ, manifesting those characteristics which I've tried So hard to ingrain into your thinking Then we cannot help But have a different flavor about us The things that we laugh at will be different The things that we talk about will be different The type of things that we do will be different Because we are different We're the salt of the earth And salt is to bring out flavor. Salt also stops decay. It has an antiseptic quality about it. It stops rottenness. Back in Jesus' day and time, if they caught fish from the Sea of Galilee and they wanted to take them up to Jerusalem to the market, uh, they packed them in layers of salt to preserve them because this was a preservative. There is a lot of rottenness in this world. And Christians have to exercise a germicidal, antiseptic influence upon corruption. That means that when other people are going to lie, we are not going to lie. We will adhere to the truth that when other people are going to be immoral, we are not going to be immoral. The me, me, me culture with its narcissistic emphasis upon self-gratification and sensuality is an absolute reversal of what Jesus is teaching, completely. We come out from among that, and we are different, the salt of the earth. He says, if salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? If salt becomes tasteless. One preacher was telling me about uh, watching some students uh, who were kind of hippie types, but they were interested in the church and they were standing on the outside. And two supposedly stalwart members of the church who were uh, supposed to be exemplary Christians, one of them looked at the disreputable way that they were dressed and said, You good-for-nothings. You good for nothing. And the preacher went over and corrected him. He said, Now wait a minute. Jesus didn't say that these people out here are good for nothings. He said that salt that loses its flavor is good for nothing. Maybe you're the good for nothing. He didn't say they were. But salt that loses its flavor is not good for anything. They had an unusual way of exercising discipline in the early church. It came from the synagogue. When a person proved to be a a defector, when he denied his faith, and he did something that brought shame on the uh, synagogue and the Jewish faith, uh, he was like salt that lost its flavor. And so this came over into the Christian church. When Christians began to infiltrate the synagogues and they became believers in Jesus as the Messiah. And so if a believer uh, brought shame and reproach upon Christ and then he came back to the elders of the church and he confessed his sins and they forgave him of his sin, you know what they would do? He would go and lie down at the door of the church, at the door of the synagogue. And the people who came in would trample over him. They wouldn't step on him. They'd just step over him coming in. Because he, he would say to them, I am salt that has lost its savor, and I'm only fit to be trampled on, so they would come in and step over him. That way. That was a form of, of penance that he went through in order to uh, be reestablished in his church. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, says Jesus, and here again, he doesn't say, wouldn't it be nice if you would be the light of the world? And he doesn't say, wouldn't it be good if some of you would sing like a little candle burning in the night? No. He says, you are the light of the world. In the darkness of the world in which we live, you are the light of the world. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Those fishermen down on that Sea of Galilee could look up on that hill and see the city. That was a fixed point. And a Christian whose values are absolutes and who adheres loyally to his faith in Jesus Christ is one that you can look at and trust and know that he's going to be uh, the person who is true to Jesus Christ tomorrow as he is true to him today. You are the light of the world, said Jesus. A city set on a hill cannot be hid nor do men light a lamp and put it under, a. a it says here, a peck measure. It's a, a bowl from which you measure a certain quantity of something. Well, if you light a candle, you don't take your candle and say, Now, my precious little candle, I don't want it to go out, so I'm going to put it under this, and now then my candle will burn brightly under here. Jesus said, You don't do that. He said, you take the candle and you put it up on a lampstand so that it gives light to all that are in the house so that they can see for it. This is why I had put in the bulletin the fact that you, you can't be a secret disciple. Read that in the bulletin and keep it. Being a secret disciple is like shooting a cannon in secret. You can't fire off a cannon in secret very well. And if Jesus Christ comes into your life in power, it's not a secret thing. It's something that's going to go to other people. It will reach them. And uh, that is to be a continuation of his ministry of light. It is to be a clarification we are to show to other people. Paul uh, called to the Ephesian elders the daring example of himself. Those of you who were here at prayer meeting on Wednesday night, while we were studying the background to Ephesians, saw that Paul, in making his farewell address to the Ephesian elders, said to them, You know what I have taught you publicly and from house to house. You know what my manner of life has been. And so we are to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth in the the way that we clarify to others the meaning of being a Christian, uh, we uh, must remember that. And we have to get rid of the obstacles that would hinder us uh, from doing that. Now, how am I going to let my light shine? Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shine. Well, my wife has bought a another antique and uh, it's a coal oil lamp I grew out in it grew up out in the country where we didn't have anything but coal oil lamps and they don't turn me on that much uh, <laughs> but uh, coal oil lamp in order to be uh, any count you have to always be scrubbing those chimneys and getting them clean and you'd burn your hands on them and drop them on the floor uh, when we were little kids. Well, you you kindle a, a flame in it. You have to trim the wick. You have to replenish the oil. You have to clean up the chimney to it. Uh, they're wonderful now that we admire all these old things. Uh, but they require a lot of work. And we Christians... Or to be like this, the Holy Spirit is often represented as oil. The Holy Spirit causes us to shine for Jesus Christ. We're to trim away, to lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. Uh, we're to show to other people in our Christian faith that we belong to Him. We take our source of light from him. Did you ever stop and think about the sun and the moon? During the daytime, the sun is the light of the world. But when the sun goes down, the moon is the light of the world. But the reason that the moon is the light of the world is that the sun shines on it, and it gets its light from the sun. The reason that we can shine is that the love of Jesus Christ shines upon us and that light and that love and that faithfulness shine out to the world and that's what they want to see that's what they wish to God that they could really see is some church members who really believed these things that we say we believe and followed Jesus Christ faithfully let me have this This morning, uh, we sang the first hymn, 31, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. It was written by Henry Late. The last hymn that we'll sing is number 64. I'd like for you to look at it just a minute. Henry F. Late wrote two of the hymns that we sung this morning, the first one and the last one. And the key to shining for Jesus Christ is abiding in Him. If we abide with Him, then His life shines through us. The man who wrote those two hymns was a man who had a great deal of sickness in his life, but a great faith in Jesus Christ, as you can see from that jubilant first hymn, and as you can see from this thoughtful last hymn. This is the last hymn that he ever wrote. And he wrote it after he had preached a communion sermon to his congregation. He had preached from Luke chapter 24 on the disciples uh, who thought that Jesus was dead and they were walking away from Jerusalem and toward Emmaus. And then they suddenly realized that they were joined by a third one who came and walked with them. And then you remember when they got to the place where they were going, that this stranger made as though he would go further. And they compelled him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And so he went in. And when the bread was blessed and broken, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And you remember how they said, Did not our hearts burn within us while we walked with him in the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ will cause your heart to burn with you as he walks with you in the way of life with its troubles, with its trials with its temptations, with its challenges, with its fun, with its opportunities. But you want him to abide with you. And that wonderful man, Henry F. Late, after preaching that sermon, walked down by the seaside in the little fishing village where he lived in, in, in England and came back and sat down in the, the vestry, and wrote out the words to this hymn, which I would like for us to sing in in closing. Let us stand and sing together the 64th hymn, Abide With Me. In prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, these great lines which we have sung from a marvelous hymn in prayer, we pray will be true to our existence so that we might be always faithful and true to you. How we bless you that for us we have a great communion not only with you who walk with us day by day but also with those whom we love who have gone to be with you and whom one day we shall rejoin and so help us while we stay here in this world to be salt of this earth and light in this world so that it might be brought into the kind of order that will bring Uh, honor to you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our keeper and guide be and abide with you all now and forevermore.